0: Can you think of the worst wound you've ever suffered? Maybe a broken bone. Maybe you fell off the monkey bars when you were a kid. The worst wound that you've, you've ever suffered. I, I sure can. I can think of two, but I can think of one when I was a little kid. We had one of those really inexpensive A-frame swing sets, metal swing sets in the backyard. You know the kind that if you swang really hard on it, you could sort of get it to levitate a little bit? One of those? We had one of those swing sets, and it was on its last leg of life. It had seen many summers, and it was kind of falling apart. And I remember it was an item on my parents to-do list, my father's to-do list to take this thing apart, to to disassemble it and to take the, the metal to the scrapyard. But uh, my sister and I were out back and um, and, you know, on the A-frame of the swing set on the sides, there was always that one little metal bar that connected the two, right? And that's really the only thing that was holding it together. Well, our swing set was sort of rusted and falling apart and I sort of wiggled that little metal connector piece off of the swing set. And now my sister Jenny was in the front yard and um, my friend Chris was in the backyard with me. We were thick as thieves. And we heard our sisters, Jenny and Michelle, in the front yard saying, we're going to come get you. You know, a game we were playing or something. And so we start running to hide behind the big tree in the backyard and I was running with that rusted metal pole. And I tripped on a stump and <clears throat> I impaled myself with the swing set pole. It was pretty serious. And Chris was shocked, in awe, just shocked that this rusted metal pole was sticking in his best friend. I was in shock and panic and I let out the biggest scream you could ever imagine and my mother came running out the back door my Lord, she was freaking out, right? You can only imagine. We went to the hospital and they removed this pole and they treated the wound and they put a bandage over it and some ointment on it and I was on an antibiotic and I had to get a, another tetanus shot and the whole nine yards, right? I still have a little scar right here in my side and, and it, it, the scar remains, But the wound healed because we know how to treat physical wounds, don't we? When I was in high school, I was working out at this gym, California Fitness. That's kind of a funny name for a gym in Ohio, (laughs) California Fitness. And I was pulling a weight off of the rack, the round 45-pound dumbbells or plates, and I was pulling one off and the rack was so full of weights that the one behind it jiggled off. So I'm holding on to a weight and the one jiggled off behind it and it fell straight down on my big toe and it shattered my big toe. And I was wincing in pain and some strong bodybuilder who was working out there probably in his mid-30s, you know, I'm just a 16, 17-year-old kid and he kind of helped me to the locker room and well, you know, the whole nine yards, you know what follows, right? I, I go to the urgent clinic and they look at my toe, they, they need to sort of Drain it and do the whole nine yards. This is pretty pretty gross sermon so far. Um, and I have a boot on my foot and I need to wear crutches. We know how to treat physical wounds, don't we? But these aren't the only types of wounds that we suffer in our lives. We've all been wounded. We've had scraped knees or elbows, we've maybe been in a car wreck and done a number to our neck and we go to physical therapy, or we saw our finger off during Holy Week, and we need to, you know, go, go see a physical therapist for well, what do we do to, to, to repair and recover? But, but what about the wounds that cut deeper? The, the wounds of spirit, the, the wounds of our heart. We've all been wounded. We all know what it's like to feel disappointed, to be let down, to go through a heartbreak, to be let go from a job where we've we've dedicated our, our our life, many years of our career, to be sort of dismissed as just another number on a spreadsheet. What do you do with those types of wounds? So often, I think we we sort of just cover them up. We we sort of just press on and we live with them. And it's precisely these types of wounds, the wounds of our spirit, the wounds that that come through uh, the breakup of a relationship, the wounds that come through the stress of our daily living, our daily jobs. It is those wounds that over time, if we're not paying attention, begin to Cloud how we see the world. Certainly, this is a potential. Our letdowns, our hurts, our disappointments are sort of like a lens through which we can start seeing the world. And what, what grows from that place? When you've been so wounded and so hurt that you can't help but see hurt and pain and disappointment everywhere in the world, we begin to grow cynical. We start to to view everything through a lens of cynicism, which is different than just being skeptical or having momentary doubts. Living a skeptical life, a a, a cynical life, is toxic. It's toxic to our spirit. It's toxic to our life. It's toxic for the world. You could make the argument that right now we're living in a very cynical world. In John chapter 20, we heard last week about the disciples who were locked away in in a room because of fear, feelings of of being afraid that what happened to Jesus might also happen to them, this horrendous crucifixion where Jesus suffered horrible wounds, nails driven through his hands and his feet, a, a spear that pierced his side, the gruesome death they're locked away in, in the room and they're feeling fear. And last week, in, in this focus on spring cleaning, getting rid of those things, right, that, that weigh us down in our hearts to, to, to shed those things so we can embrace the new life in Christ, we were encouraged to, to not live based off of fear. We heard that it's normal to feel fear, it's human to feel afraid. But to live afraid is toxic. It robs us of the life that God would give to us. It it robs us of experiencing joy and new adventure, resurrection, hope. We're not called to live by fear. And today we pick up in that gospel story, the continuation. Normally we read last week's gospel and this week's gospel together, but we've separated them out for this, this year. And today we continue in that story, and the story focuses on one of the disciples named Thomas, who wasn't present a week earlier when Jesus appeared before the disciples and spoke the word of peace to them. And now Thomas comes back to the group, and the other disciples are overjoyed. They have seen the Lord, and they tell Thomas, we have seen the Lord, you can imagine the joy and the transformation of that locked room going from feelings of fear to ecstasy. We have seen him, Thomas. Can you imagine how they, they, try, to, they try to convince him? No, really, we, we have seen him. This scene always makes me think of how a few years ago I was not really watching the news much or, or reading newspapers. I was sort of just... Um, living day to day in my own world, and I had a group of friends who were talking about how a pilot landed a plane on the Hudson River. Do you remember this? A movie was made about it, Sully with Tom Hanks starring in the, in the role. And I remember my friends telling me, no, really, a pilot landed a plane on the Hudson River. And I said, there's no way that that happened. It, it just, that can't be true. I couldn't imagine it in my mind's eye. And I thought they were trying to pull one over on, me. They were trying to get me to say, oh, really, that's him? Okay, and then say, yeah, right, you buffoon. Who could do that? I couldn't believe it. I doubted it. And in a very similar way, I think Thomas is doubting what the disciples are saying. I mean, Thomas was there, and he saw the, uh, the arrest and the betrayal, and, and he heard accounts. Maybe he was somewhere distant in the crowd. We're not certain when they actually drove the nails through his hands. Certainly, Thomas was in mourning. Thomas was doubting. But I also think that something else was happening underneath the surface for Thomas. We often refer to this passage as just simply doubting Thomas. And some of us, we take issue with that, right? We say, well, maybe he's just honest Thomas. Why should we beat him up for his doubts? I firmly believe that doubt is not something that should be shamed, ever. And one of the reasons I think we like to call it Honest Thomas is because, we, well, we, we've adopted the cultural belief that, that doubt is a negative thing. When I sit in my office with people for pastoral counseling and whenever doubt comes up or a struggle of faith, people often look to the side or look down, they, well, I'm sort of doubting Why? Why is that? Doubt is nothing to be ashamed about. Doubt and faith are are linked. It's sort of like being a saint and a sinner. Both are true at the same time. If you don't have doubt, then you don't have faith. The opposite of doubt is certainty. And what does certainty have to do with faith? Nothing. In order to have faith, you must embrace your doubt and cling to a promise greater than, a hope. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, yet unseen. So I don't really think that what's happening with Jesus and Thomas is all too much about doubt. The actual Greek doesn't even really translate into doubt. It is more about being unbelieving, which is a whole other shade I wonder, though, as I read this through the lens of woundedness, if this really isn't about deeper wounds and the threat of growing cynicism. You see, when we become wounded, it is easy for us to then become cynical and to live a cynical life. What if Jesus showing up to Thomas... And specifically pointing out his wounds is Christ's way of acknowledging the wounds inside of Thomas' heart. Thomas certainly was wounded himself. Wounded by the trauma of seeing his Lord arrested and put on trial, beaten and crucified, wounded by his own feelings of anguish, wounded and I wonder if Jesus standing before him and allowing Thomas to touch his wounds, put your finger here, is Christ's way of saying, see, we all suffer wounds. But Thomas, the wounds don't have the final answer. The wounds aren't definitive. The wounds can heal, the resurrected Jesus still has the marks of the wounds, but he is a new creation. He has been made new. The wounds have been transformed through an empty tomb. And I wonder if what Jesus is doing as he's allowing Thomas to touch the wounds, is he's giving Thomas an example of how to be sent into the world to not be ashamed of your wounds, but to rather expose them. And I wonder also if he's inviting Thomas not just to look at the wounds, but to look at the whole risen body. And as Thomas and the rest of the disciples are sent out into the world, I think they are given this choice, they are given this encouragement. You can go into the world and you can continue to stare at the woundedness Or you can continue to see the grander picture that there is a resurrected body that is carrying those wounds. I think it all depends on what we end up looking for in life. It's one thing to experience our own wounds, our own pain, our own hurt, our own anguish. It's a whole other thing then to have your sight clouded by that, so that's all you begin to see in the world. We know what it looks like to be really cynical, don't we? Maybe you've been in this place, or you know somebody in this place. Even when good news is shared, it's often met with a, yeah, but, well, that could go wrong, or this could fall apart. Nothing good can happen in the world. Do you see the difference between doubt and cynicism? Doubt is often related to a, a particular thing. It's a hard time believing something that is, th- that is extraordinary. A, a cynicism is pervasive. It's underlying. It, it clouds your judgment. All you can see is what is bad and wrong in the world. I had a friend in high school who got a, a, a U. It was used, but man, it was sweet. It was a black Mustang GT, and that thing was fast souped up, and supercharged, right? I see Rich Peter's like, oh yeah, Mustang guy. Before my friend Eric bought his black Mustang, I never noticed black Mustangs anywhere I went. Never looked for them. Never saw them. But now that Eric was driving one, it's like I saw them everywhere. Everyone had a black Mustang. Why did everyone have a black Mustang all of a sudden? Why were they at Kroger, and why were they at my school? Why were they everywhere? because I was now looking for black Mustangs. They were always present, but my mind was now looking for them. If we want to find reason to be cynical, to be jaded, to continue feeling hurt, to be negative, to be pessimistic, well, man, you'll find a thousand reasons. You'll see a thousand black Mustangs out there. But can we have eyes to also see the risen body of our Lord showing up again and again and again, signs for new life. What we are looking for, we eventually find. We do see. So look here at the marks of the nails. Look at my side. Look at the wound. But look how God has healed it. Look how God is doing a new thing. You know, when I would scrape my knees like I was talking to the kids about and my mother would put a Band-Aid on it and clean it up, without fail, a few days later, she would call me over and she would say, Lauren, honey, I think it's time we take that Band-Aid off. Why, Mom? I don't want you to rip it. It's going to hurt if you rip it off. She would always say, we need to take the Band-Aid off because the wound needs to breathe. Right? It needs to breathe now. It needs some sunlight. It needs some fresh air. I think the same is true with the wounds of our heart. If we want to move forward and experience and see the new life that God is bringing, I think we have to open ourselves up our wounds included, to receive some sunlight, some air. Just this week, a member of the church called me the other day because she was struggling with her work. It's hard work. It's work that's filled with people's pains and people's sorrows and people's disappointments, and it's hard to stand in the gap in her job. And she called just to share a little bit about that frustration. And, and I'm so glad that she did. Because you see, when we hold on to the cynicism and the negativity, and when it becomes pervasive, well, then it becomes toxic. This can be as simple as acknowledging that life at times is hard. It's like taking the bandage off of our scraped knee and allowing God to breathe fresh air on what could grow into something that isn't so wonderful in our life. What will it look like for you this week to open up yourself, to take the bandages off of your scabs and to invite others and God to come in and breathe fresh air over all of those places that have been scarred and wounded? And you know the amazing things about the wounds that we suffer? You know, I had lots of wounds on my knees as a kid and a soccer player growing up. I was always scraping them and cutting them open. They were always bleeding. Every soccer game, every other one, I would slide tackle, and man, the wound would come open again. But all these years later, that skin on my knees being a soccer player, it's really tough, (laughs) and it's really thick because it's all turned into scar tissue, (laughs) When our wounds do heal, whether they're wounds of the flesh or wounds of the heart, when we go through healing, we're strengthened. We're made more whole. And we're able to be the healing hands and the healing word that other people need. So may we all be sent out as those wounded healers offering life for the sake of the world. Amen.